90 News Center. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11, and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. Good to see you today. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing much better today because I spoke to you before and uh, you have uh, informed me that we've expanded our audience dramatically. Yes, you can now find us on many of the podcasting services, which is quite exciting. Uh, well, be more specific. We um, well, we're definitely on iTunes. I'm waiting for approval. You didn't you didn't run this by me first, so I didn't know you were going to make the big announcement. But we haven't been approved yet, Neil. So we'll have to come back with who we're approved on. Yeah. But on iTunes for sure. But basically what we're saying is that we're going to be available on, uh, as a podcast uh, in a, a multiple of sites for ease of getting... Uh, ease of listening. Ease of listening. Uh, so um, given that great news, do we bother to get a guest for today or we're just going to wing it? We're just, <laughs> yeah, just going to wing it. No, we are thrilled to have with us Casey Summer who is a partner at the law firm for nonprofits. Casey, thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Looking forward to the conversation. So the first article today is from uh, the Wall Street Journal, and it's about um, Evergrande. And Evergrande, for those who haven't been reading the newspapers, is that uh, very, very large uh, real estate developer in China uh, that is in serious trouble. And the reason I bring it up is because um, the whole idea of, in, in my view of, and the whole risk of investing in uh, the securities of foreign companies or debt in foreign companies is the lack of, um, of transparency. And this large article has something that was really fascinating in it. And let me just read you a paragraph. Uh, Developers represented a revenue stream with limited power to tax. Chinese, city, Chinese cities get roughly a third of their revenue from selling land to property developers like Evergreen, Evergrande. Cities annex farmland to sell developers. Farmers often get to buy apartments at a discount. So basically, the way China works is local communities really can't tax. So the way local uh, communities raise tax money, uh, or the alternative to tax money, is to sell land to developers uh, for basically uh, a very little amount of money because the land comes through uh, an annexation from uh, farmers, and the farmers in turn get paid in terms of buying these apartments at a discount. Well, what happened was the um, uh, opportunity to continue to do this was 
uh, fueled by the cities in China's need to raise money and developers who basically develop. Uh, and no one was looking at a macroeconomic view, which was that nobody needed apartments anymore. The market was essentially saturated. And so now you have a situation in which you've got not only uh, too many apartments, but you've got a huge, huge uh, bankruptcy on the table. Uh, a economy, by the way, um, the economy in China is uh, nearly one third is real estate. One third of GDP in China is real estate. And thirdly, you've got all these local people that sold their farmland in order to buy an apartment at a discount where it's in a building that may not be finished and they may lose all their money. So this is really not only a catastrophe for the Chinese and for those financial institutions who invested in these entities, but also it is a, a waking call for people that invest in foreign uh, companies uh, without really considering what they don't know. Well, what's fascinating about that is at some point, like you would have thought that someone would have thought about the fact that, you know, at some point there'll be a glut of apartments beyond that. If that's the only way municipalities can raise revenues to, for any purpose, at some point you'll run out of land as well. The whole, the whole way it works just doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. And so what the Chinese have, uh, have just woken up and uh, they're going to put a hard stop to it, but it, you know, it may be a very, very hard stop. Um, the next article is, a, is one that also surprised me and it's entitled Bitcoin pinched, uh, pitched as tax law strategy. Now here's one I didn't realize. There's a thing called the wash rule in the stock market. That is, if you buy a stock and it goes down, and you decide to take the loss, uh, you are prohibited from buying it back for, I guess it's 30 days. So you just can't- yeah, 30 days, basically. You just, you just can't buy and sell and, 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 get, and get, take the loss and then go ahead and, and pick it up again as a, and own it right away. Well, Bitcoin is exempted from that. So what accountants are telling their clients is you can buy Bitcoin. If you lose money, you can sell it realize the loss against your taxes and immediately buy it back. So some accounting firms are saying Bitcoin is a way of uh, re realizing tax losses that may not actually be uh, actual capital losses. Another crazy What's interesting aspect. About that is I think, I think that statement needs a comma yet. So Bitcoin, you're allowed to do that at this point, which I didn't realize either until you had read that article, Neil. Um, however, I do think that our government is looking for ways to close that Bitcoin loophole that's going on in all aspects. In addition, I think that that will change. Mark my words, you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, and you not only heard it here first, but you've heard it on a whole number of uh, podcast sites. So this is really momentous. Oh, I'm sorry. We already momentous, right. <laughs> so the next article is uh, entitled from the Wall Street Journal, Wrecked Junk Loans Fuel Payouts. And U.S. companies have sold a record amount of junk-rated loans to raise money for dividends this year. Now, think about that. The whole idea of, uh, at least as far as I was taught, of, of raising money is you raise money in order to uh, invest it uh, at a rate higher than either your borrowing costs or if it's in terms of common stock, 
higher than the return the investor can get. Well, what companies are doing now is they're, because they can borrow so cheaply, even junk companies, they're borrowing money at very, very low rates and paying it out as dividends to goose up their stock price, which is completely nuts. Next article, no comments. Next article <laughs> is entitled, this is from the accounting section of the Wall Street Journal Sunday newspaper, and it's entitled Bad News for the Merely Rich. Um, the um, proposed, original proposed tax uh, reform that the House and Waste Committees was considering was to uh, increase the tax rate on people earning over a million dollars. And the current uh, discussion now is not to tax people over a million, but to tax people at a higher rate who earn between 400,000 and 1 million. And so, uh, which I don't understand how that got through or how that's going to get through, but basically it's, uh, it's warning people that even though you may not consider yourself super rich, by earning 400,000, you're now in a zone where if this uh, passes Congress, um, the very rich will not be affected as much as, the, as people thought. But if you're earning between 400,000 and a million, you will. You know, what's interesting about that is there are so many things in that tax bill that people are, are shouting about as being, you know, potentially really detrimental to kind of that upper middle class, I have to say it, it's hard to, um, it, it, it's hard to actually pick them all out and think that they're, that it's going to happen because it has to go through a lot with a 50, 50 Congress. It's very difficult to think that anything's going to pass. Well, yeah, based on what I've seen in the last uh, three weeks, I don't think anything's going to happen. Um, which is, um, I guess what a lot of people want, uh, to see nothing happen. Uh, the next article uh, is uh, a very strange one. It's uh, in the New York Times and it's entitled Insurance Braces for Change. And back in the old days, in the old days being when I was younger, people, when they bought insurance, life insurance, uh, typically looked at the company's, you know, two or 300 year history. You know, they, each advertisement said, we've been in business 150 years, we've been in business 300 years. And it was about having this, pedigree of always being there. You know, the Rock of Gibraltar in Prudential and all of the other symbols. Well, the way insurance companies make money is that they invest the premium until somebody dies uh, in interest-bearing securities. Well, since interest-bearing securities really have very little return today, many insurance companies have decided to get out of the business. And so they're either selling their portfolio or actually selling the whole company to more aggressive investors who are making up the difference by investing the reserves in more risky assets where they can get a higher return. Well, for the consumer who bought the Rock of Gibraltar, they may be uh, being insured by some hedge fund somewhere that is putting their reserves in a risky asset. And, and that's something that could be very problematical. Yeah, because if those insurers aren't um, solvent to pay out claims, that you're you're going to have a pretty angry um, uh, populace, as well as you know a potential for uh, the need for government to step in. So, did I have any articles today that were optimistic? 
You never uh, do feel. No one, no one wants, no one expects that from you at this point. That's true. But at least we have an optimistic guest. Uh, and you'll get to hear it in a moment. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Hey America, we're your pets, and this song's dedicated to those people who don't have health insurance yet. In Rome, we say we want you to be okay. In Rome, we say take care of people for goodness sake. There's a plan for every budget, so don't accept defeat. Now you can get covered and still buy me treats. So listen to me, a talking pug, you see. If you get health insurance, preventive care is now free. So sweet. You take care of your pets. Now it's their turn to take care of you. Visit GetCoveredAmerica.org to learn about your health insurance options. That's GetCoveredAmerica.org. And take care, people. Brought to you by Get Covered America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-563-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Casey Summer, who is a partner at the law firm for nonprofits, here with us today. She's also a national arts consultant on strategy planning and board development, and a adjunct professor for the nonprofit law at Vanderbilt University. So thanks so much for being here, Casey. We appreciate it. Yeah, excited to be here. So tell us, how did you, you're also, she's also a transplant from Tennessee. How did you make your way to California? Oh, fun. Uh, So my uh, mother is in the Santa Ynez Valley. uh, So that brought us to the Santa Barbara area. So she moved here about 20 years ago. And my husband and I had been visiting and it doesn't take too many trips to Santa Barbara to start to think about making it your home. Uh, And I had um, founded and ran a nonprofit organization in uh, Nashville for a little over a decade 
and was ready to uh, hand it off to the next uh, the next leader. One of the things we're often advising nonprofits on are transitions uh, from founders to you know the, the next leadership. And and when we made that decision, we thought, well, wow, we could we could move anywhere now. So Santa Barbara had always been on the short list, and uh, we moved just about four years ago. And so. Stepping back even further, what got you interested in law and how did you actually land into a such a niche section of the law, such as nonprofits? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a, a niche practice. It's a pretty small community, even nationally, of us that focus in this area. And uh, my interest really came about in my passion for the arts. My undergraduate degree is uh, in arts, and I got involved in various arts nonprofits uh, even while I was an undergrad. And started uh, at one point very naively, frankly, I had literally never met an attorney in my life. Um, but I thought, you know, our, the, I would be involved in these organizations and we had questions about, you know, accepting donations and various exhibits we could do and just staying out of trouble in general. And thought, you know, one of us should go to law school. And uh, that sounded interesting to me. And so I thought about it for a while and decided to pursue it. Uh, and honestly, I'm glad I didn't know more attorneys, or I'm sure they would have talked me out of it and said, you know, this is not really a practice because that was going in. I thought, oh, I'd love to work with arts nonprofits. And um, I would have been told, you know, not a lot of people do that, but that um, fortuitously has ended up being exactly uh, what I do. So while I was in law school, this was all in Nashville at uh, Vanderbilt University. I learned about these organizations called Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, kind of like legal aid for the arts community. And they provide uh, free assistance to a lot of uh, individual artists, uh, low-income artists, arts nonprofits. And uh, there wasn't one in uh, Tennessee at the time. And so I actually founded that um, during my third year of law school, thought it would be a cool thing to be a part of, not realizing uh, that it would be my full-time job upon graduation. So that organization kind of grew and evolved. And I, I ran that for about 12 years. And in the course of that, one of the cornerstone programs was providing legal assistance to nonprofit organizations, in that case, all arts organizations. Um, but through that, I got the opportunity to start teaching nonprofit law at Vanderbilt. And uh, that became really my passion and focus area uh, from there. So a very uh, kind of roundabout path, I think, to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Most people who are arts and passionate and or driven aren't thinking, huh, maybe I'll go to law school. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I know I, I, uh, I have the opportunity to talk often to um, law students or people who are thinking about going to law school. And I always tell them, you know, people's careers in hindsight, uh, you know, look so logical and inevitable, right? Like it looks like this was so clearly what my path was, but I had no idea. I had no idea that there would even, you know, be ways that the law would intersect with those passions. I had no idea of all of the legal needs of different nonprofit organizations and that I would find all of that, you know, nerdy tax and corporate governance uh, things fascinating. So, you know, I tell them just, you know, follow your interests and uh, trust your instincts. Um, but it, it uh, uh, those paths are often winding and unpredictable. So as an adjunct professor, you're teaching about nonprofit law. How different or is that, how, how different or how do you apply the law differently for nonprofits than you would for profit organizations? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest difference uh, is is that 
you have this concept that these organizations, nonprofits are doing good for the public in some way, right? That they are, that we have this trust with the public uh, and that um, the assets of the organizations need to be protected and stewarded. And so there's this whole body of both state and federal law that the purpose really is to ensure that, you know, when you make a donation to an organization, that it will be put toward those good, you know, charitable, educational, scientific purposes uh, that you hope it will. And that's really, I think, sort of the seed of this whole body of law that I uh, spend my time in. And so I think the difference is just that there is a whole host of regulation laid on top of these corporations. On the one hand, they're corporations like any other. Uh, but then on the other hand, there are all of these other considerations that uh, that have to be uh, considered. And there's this heightened um, duty of anyone that's involved with the organization to make sure that it is acting in furtherance of its exempt purposes and that it is, uh, you know, in, in all respects, uh, honoring that public trust. And um, so that, you know, leads to a lot of complexity, as you can imagine, at uh, the federal level uh, with the federal tax code and at the state level. Uh, and each state's a little bit different in that regulation. Um, so I, you know, I have to tell clients it's a business like any other, it's a corporation like any other, uh, it needs to be well-run and well-managed and um, nonprofit certainly doesn't mean the organization should operate in the red or that it should operate at a loss. It just means that at the end of the day, those funds that it does generate that excess revenue gets reinvested back into the organization and furthers that purpose. It doesn't go to private individuals. So it doesn't make a profit in that sense, but it certainly should be generating, you know, net funds every year. It should be healthy and a well-run business. Do, do you think that you should add one more degree to your portfolio and that's psychologist? Uh, <laughs> right. with, Maybe so. You know, it, it's funny. I was talking about um, founders and boards. I think I've mentioned both of those already. And there are certainly some really fascinating dynamics that come to play, you know, with um, the reasons that people are involved in nonprofits and we like to say we help good people do good things. And I think that is true. And, and you know, our clients do have wonderful intentions, and uh, but often they may have expertise that is not necessarily business acumen or, you know, in, in this space. And so we're often trying to, to marry the two and, you know, take their brilliance in whatever charitable, educational, or scientific endeavor, or healthcare endeavor they might have, uh, and make sure that we can bring good governance practice to that and, and a good business operation to it. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSP, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The United Boys and Girls Clubs of Santa Barbara County has been serving young people from Carpinteria to Lompoc for over 80 years. Here's Lori Lace. 
The Boys and Girls Club was started in 1938 here in Santa Barbara. It was a small location over on Haley Street. We started building the location it's at right now on Canna Perdido in 1939. We have locations all the way from Carpinteria up into Lompoc. Plus, we have a Camp Whittier that's 92 acres in the San Ynez Mountains. It's $40 a year. And if you do not have the $40, guess what? You can come for free. Call 681-1315 and that's 805. Go to unitedbg.org and sign up. (laughs) To learn more about the services and programs offered by the United Boys and Girls Clubs of Santa Barbara County, go to unitedbg.org or call 805-681-1315. There are many sounds in your daily life. Ones that make you smile. (laughs) Ones that help you relax. And there are some sounds that can help save lives. Wireless emergency alerts. Now on many mobile devices, use a unique sound and vibration to bring you critical information about emergencies in your area. With updates from local sources you know and trust, you can be in the know wherever you are. Learn more at ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. Neil, your microphone is sounding so great. Sounds yeah, like wonder, it- yeah, it came back on. So if you're just joining us, we have Casey Summer, who's a partner at the law firm for nonprofits with us. So enough about your mic, Neil, but I just wanted to let you know that. Um, so Casey, before the break, we were talking about, you know, your work and, and how, how, you know, perhaps you need a psychology de- degree as well to work with nonprofits and all the different um, facets of the nonprofit world. What, what is your favorite type of nonprofit to work with? And what is your favorite thing to work on with nonprofits? Hmm. I well, I, I'd mentioned that my you know background primarily uh, has been in the arts, and I do have a particular passion uh, for the arts. But actually, I will say that one of the things I've loved the most about uh, being at the law firm for nonprofits, and this is something I loved about teaching, uh, and 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 still continue to love about teaching as well, is is really just the breadth of the sector. I think it is broader than people you know, even realize that it's everything from certainly universities and and healthcare organizations um, to, you know, libraries, animal organizations, environmental, uh, you know, all kinds of justice organizations, and not to mention the whole social service sector. And, you know, it's just that the breadth is really fascinating to me. And I love that uh, literally every day we'll get calls from new clients uh, who, you know, I think, wow, I've never, you know, had an opportunity to think deeply about that issue. And so I think having uh, that's what's been particularly fun for me, uh, you know, even, uh, even lately, you know, it seems like just every day there's something new and different and people thinking of innovative ways to use, you know, new media to address important causes in society. Uh, so that's fun to me, just learning about all these causes that I might never have had the opportunity to engage with before. Uh, as far as the kind of things I enjoy helping with, one of our particular areas of expertise ha- has, has, come working with uh, nonprofits that are 
looking to generate revenue in ways that may be somewhat similar to uh, the way for-profit businesses might or that have a close relationship with a for-profit and helping them navigate facts. You have to be really careful in that space, but I also think there's a lot of potential to do big, exciting work uh, in that space as well. And so uh, again, I think there are those common misconceptions that nonprofits um, can't earn revenue, that they can't be entrepreneurial and innovative. Uh, and, and that's certainly false. Uh, it just has to be done thoughtfully and carefully and in compliance with the law. So we find we find those clients exciting that call and they want to try to do something different or innovative. And we're helping them figure out how to do that in a way that's that's compliant and that will keep them out of trouble along the way and hopefully minimize their you know tax obligations and all of that. Do you so have do you a... Find- Go ahead. Do, do, do you have an issue with um, people who are your client resigning or terming out from the board and all of a sudden you've got a new client? That's an interesting question, Neil. Uh, it, it happens sometimes, but I will say um, typically not. I, you know, we work with organizations of all sizes, certainly, and we do work with organizations that are all volunteer. So that may be a concern in that space. Um, but often we are working with a professional staff person, a CEO or executive director, uh, either as well as our primary contact. So there tends to be a little more continuity. Uh, but one of the things we do advise on pretty frequently are some of those handoffs. You know, we have a new board chair coming in. Uh, we might, you know, visit with them a little bit to make sure that they, you know, can ask any questions that they may have about uh, their bylaws, about how this corporation works, about their role serving as a chair. That's a really common call I got is uh, either I just joined a board and I haven't served in a while or I'm fairly new to this. You know, can you remind me of what my, you know, what are my legal obligations? How can I be a great board member? Uh, and the same if they're taking on one of those special officer roles. So we're sometimes there during those transitions. Um, fortunately, we typically have a little more continuity uh, with the clients. But at a similar question, you're now new to Santa Barbara. And Santa Barbara is known as one of the most dense uh, communities in terms of uh, not-for-profits per capita. Yeah. But at the same time, there are a lot of, uh, of sticky relationships. That is, a lot of these not-for-profits have attorneys that they've had for years and years and years. Uh, do you have, have you had issues getting uh, traction among the, uh, the more established uh, not-for-profits in town? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and that was actually something I wondered about, you know, before moving here and uh, took some time to get to know the nonprofit community to make sure I wasn't, um, you know, coming in with an assumption that there was a need for these type of services or stepping on toes. And it, um, from everything I've, I've heard, it sounds like I arrived at a very good time. So I think there were some, you know, perhaps uh, established folks who maybe had recently um, retired or a lot of people said, our, oh, our go-to isn't practicing anymore for whatever reason, you know, we, uh, we've really been looking for someone for that. So that uh, I, I would say quite the opposite. I've been incredibly warmly welcomed. And uh, I just, I hear that again and again and again, when people find out what we do saying, oh gosh, I've really been looking for, you know, a great person in this space. Uh, uh, so that's been been really lovely. And, you know, with our firm, with the law firm for nonprofits, the, uh, the rest of the team is based in Studio City in, in LA. And um, so when I uh, when I met my now partner, uh, Arthur Ryman, who founded the firm 25 years ago, we met quite fortuitously through, a, he's also an, an arts buff. So we met through a, a mutual friend who in the arts sector. 
And, uh, and we met just to nerd out and talk nonprofit law, you know, because as I, as I mentioned to Diane earlier, it's a pretty small community, even nationwide, you know, the American Bar Association exempt organizations group, there's, you know, a couple hundred of us, it's not a huge group. So it's a pretty small family. And uh, so I've known about Arthur and his practice for a long time. But I knew we wanted to be in Santa Barbara near my family. And uh, so, you know, we were just chatting and he said, you know, we've started working with the Santa Barbara Foundation, a lot of, you know, clients up in the Santa Barbara area. Uh, we could really use a presence up there. So, <laughs> wow, you know, how, what perfect timing. So it really was just wonderfully um, fortuitous that we met and that uh, been able to build uh, the practice up here. So, um, so far, so good. It's been quite a, a, a soft landing as one of our good friends uh, joked with us between, they said, you know, the hard part in Santa Barbara can be uh, finding, you know, a good job, good housing. And we landed really, really softly on all those fronts. So it's been a nice move. So now given the breadth of legal legal work that you have to do for nonprofits, do you find yourself networking with, you know, mergers and acquisitions and, you know, the, the revenue front attorneys to kind of get, because I, I, I've got to imagine with you representing the nonprofits and there's so many different aspects of the legal world, whereas you may just have a, a trust and estate attorney deal with, you know, wills and trusts, you're actually having to really give advice across the legal spectrum. How often do you consult with other um, area expert experts? Yeah, you know, very often. And that, that, that may be part of the um, the warm reception is that, you know, we what we do really is so specific. And that's all we do. So we know what we do well, and we know what we don't do well. So we don't do any trust, we don't do any estate, we don't do any employment law, we don't do any litigation, you know, so uh, certainly we don't ever represent for profit corporations. Um, but all of those things do come up often in our practice. So then we'll loop in those advisors, if we need to amend a trust, we'll call a trust attorney to make sure that's done right. Um, if we have a relationship with a for profit, that for profit needs to be represented as well. And so we'll be working with someone on that. Um, so that also has been a fun way to, to get to know a lot of people in the community, you know, building up that, uh, that Rolodex, so to speak, and uh, people still even use that term. Uh, and, uh, you know, getting to know attorneys of, of all different kinds. Yeah, I'm too young to know. Well, can you explain that r Rolodex? <laughs> so I think it involves paper, Neil. I can <laughs> I could draw you a picture and. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. I see it on your desk right there, Neil. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I miss the old Rolodex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, it, it, it is a great, it's a very collaborative practice. Uh, we are constantly looping in uh, other attorneys with, with other practice areas. And similarly, actually over half of our calls come from other attorneys as well, that, you know, something comes up in the specialized practice area. And um, so they, they want to loop us in and we might be ringing in, you know, just on the nonprofit tax exempt law question uh, it as part of perhaps a bigger transaction or something else that's going on. And what about employment law? I, you know, from my experience on not-for-profits, that seemed to be the one area that keeps, that kept our lawyers busy. There's, you know, there's so many complicated issues as the world has changed. Uh, is that something you, you handle for the not-for-profits? So uh, we, we don't, we do look to our employment law experts for that. And um, where we would advise is advise the board regarding any of those transactions. So there are certain uh, steps under both state and federal law that the board needs to follow uh, anytime it's uh, approving compensation, for example, or you know various transactions. So we advise on that piece of it. And then we make sure they have good counsel on the employment law side uh, to make sure their employment law bases are covered. So that's a really great example of how we work collaboratively um, with attorneys with other areas of expertise. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSP, and we'll be right back. 
It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Come play at Ealings Park, whether it's by yourself, as a team, with your dog, on your bike, or soaring through the sky. Come play anytime, any day. For over 25 years, the Ealings Park Foundation has been dedicated to maintaining this beautiful open space and creating a place for the entire community to come play. Ealings Park is a remarkable environmental example of what is possible when people care about the best parts of their community and take ownership of wonderful facilities like our park. Ealings Park receives no financial support from any aspect of government and is completely self-supporting. So come visit the park today and support Santa Barbara's largest nonprofit park. Join the many Santa Barbans saying, Ealings is my park and make it your park too. For information, call 569-5611. That's 569-5611. Or visit online at www.elingspark.org. That's E-L-I-N-G-S-P-A-R-K dot org. Back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So, Casey, do you find that as nonprofits are usually struggling with budget, that they struggle with making a good decision to hire your firm because of the finances? Yeah, I appreciate that question uh, because that is something, you know, people have often said is, well, how do you make a practice in, you know, this, uh, this area? And, you know, really what we find is, uh, you know, clients, um, I think be, begin to learn how to budget for legal expenses uh, the same way that they do for any other critical expenses for the organization. And ultimately, um, we certainly save, you know, a lot of time and expense uh, for the organization and making sure that they're compliant. These things are so much more expensive uh, on the back end, you know, I, I, one of the things that I, uh, that I, I hate, uh, I hate one of my least favorite calls, um, only because it's hard on the client is when they call with a small question, right. You know, something about a transition that they're doing, or maybe they're just looking to update the bylaws. And we always, every time we get a call from a new client, um, uh, we'll just, you know, quickly check and make sure that they're up to date with all of the various regulators. And, you know, here in California, you have to be, uh, with the secretary of state and exempt with the franchise and tax board and registered with the California attorney generals, register your charitable trust. And then there's your IRS 513 status. So we just take a peek and you would not believe how often and with very large, well-respected organizations, we find, you know, a compliance area. And so we, you know, we have to pump the brakes and say, great, well, we'd love to jump into this question. Uh, but first we need to make sure that you are 
authorized to do business in this state and that you're, you know, up to, up to date with all these regulators and, and get them out of trouble. And, and of course, that's so much costlier than just keeping up with the filings in the first place or complying in the first place. And the same goes with we do help with uh, IRS audits, attorney general audits, uh, when those things come up. And they're, you know, again, they're, they're good for lawyers because they're expensive, but that's not how we, we like earning our fees. We like earning, you know, our fees with clients, helping them build new things, uh, not when they're in trouble like that. So uh, it certainly is a lot uh, more cost effective. Um, and we're often asked, you know, do you do you do any pro bono work or what do you do when organizations really can't afford to pay? Um, and we do select a few clients every year that we do pro bono that we really invest in um, deeply. And we assist with everything that they need throughout the year. You know, it's a pretty substantial investment and, and where we think we can make a difference. So that's how we kind of balance it is where we're there and we do try to be reasonable and efficient in our fees um, for organizations. And, but, but they do need to, to plan for that and set aside as part of their business expenses that there's going to be some costs and staying compliant and making sure that their uh, operations are going smoothly. Uh, and then we take on, you know, those special projects uh, every year as well and make a, a commitment to do that. So Casey, I noticed that you're a board member of MOXIE, which is the Wolf Museum of Exploration and Innovation, which is one of the organizations in town that is close to my heart as well. And I just wanted to highlight that and then ask you, how did, how did many of your clients fare during the pandemic? because I know it was an especially difficult time for, for places like the Moxie where, you know, part of their, their whole, it, it's an experiential learning environment and without being able to experience it, it gets more challenging, right? So how did your clients fare during the pandemic and, and what pivots did you see them take and, or how did you help them through, you know, this incredibly challenging time? Yeah. Uh, well, first I do have to um, pour on a little love for the Moxie as well. Uh, I have had so much fun uh, being on that board and it's also quite timely because we have a, uh, a small kiddo and another on the way. So it's been fun to watch him uh, kind of grow up with the Moxie and start to um, get into it. And, uh, and it's just such a well-run organization. And actually, you know, I think the Moxie is a great example of uh, how we've seen a lot of our clients fare. You're absolutely right that those organizations with venues are the ones that have uh, been the most challenged, right? Because if they're having to, to shutter their doors and then of course there's been a lot of, you know, there was opening and then they're closing again and they're, you know, they're partially open and limited capacity. So it's just been such a roller coaster. And, you know, the Moxie really exemplifies an organization that responded really well and that they right out of the gate were, you know, making plans A, B, C, and D. They were innovating. They were moving some things online. They were trying different things. They didn't just try to hunker down and wait it out. Uh, and we did see some clients that did that. And we actually posted, um, you know, we wrote some on our blog and put some information out to clients early on saying, uh, don't think you can wait this out. You know, don't put your head in the sand. You need to respond to this. You need to find ways to be relevant to your community during this time when they likely need you the most. Um, and certainly we advise on tactical things, uh, you know, PPP loans, and all of that. You know, there are particular some opportunities that were um, specific to nonprofits, uh, the shuttered venue operator grants and things like that. So something else that we made sure of us to be there as a resource. Uh, we spent those first couple of weeks uh, just picking up the phone and just calling and checking in with people and seeing, you know, how are you doing? What are your questions? How can we help? Uh, and spend a lot of time um, just with our clients. They're not billable time, right? Just being there for them as a partner and, and as a colleague. Uh, and, uh, and that was nice. It was a nice opportunity to, to reconnect. And what we ultimately have seen over 
you know, these almost couple of years now, right? Yeah. Is uh, which is hard to believe. Um, but what we've seen is that some organizations, this has really been, <coughs> excuse me, a time of tremendous growth for them because their services haven't ever needed, been needed more now than before. Services, uh, social service organizations in particular have been adding new programs, growing their programs, getting new funding. Uh, and we've been helping them, you know, along the way, building new partnerships. Others, we have seen that, you know, if they were those organizations that thought maybe we can just do nothing and wait it out, uh, you know, some of them we did see falling on more difficult times and organizations that were, uh, you know, maybe uh, challenged before, then, you know, they were looking at dissolutions and possibly acquisitions and mergers and all that. So we do help with all those different types of transactions. Uh, each of those are very different in the nonprofit space than uh, mergers, acquisitions, and dissolutions in the for-profit space. So we we do, we have spent a lot of time advising on that. And, you know, some of those mergers that, that are wonderful, they come out much stronger organizations uh, with new opportunities, you know, so uh, I, I particularly enjoy working uh, on the mergers, actually, there's, it, it's, you know, it's collaborative. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people involved between the boards and the staff and all of that. But I, I enjoy those, I enjoy working with, you know, those groups and uh, helping bring everyone together around consensus and finding a way forward that will help build a, a new, stronger organization than either the two were alone uh, before. So yeah, it's been exciting times in the in the nonprofit sector uh, for sure. And and it's been impacted our clients, I think, very differently. Some are thriving, some are struggling, and we're we're there for them either way. <laughs> yeah, you know, a few years back there was a big push, at least in Santa Barbara County, in the nonprofit world for um, kind of consolidating and collaborating mm -hmm. and really making sure there isn't a bunch of overlap. And so when you had said that mergers and acquisitions are quite different in the nonprofit world than the for-profit world, elaborate a little bit more on how they are different. Yeah, I think people think of the mergers and acquisitions space as a, as a somewhat, uh, you know, kind For of... <laughs> Right, you know, right. It's, it's not, you know, when I when I think of an M and A attorney, um, it's certainly not someone who's talking about collaboration and building bridges and stronger partnerships and community and uh, and that's what more what our conversations look like. So it really is truly about you know, what is the impact we're trying to achieve in the community? What resources do both organizations have that further that impact? And, you know, how can we bring all of that together um, so that they, it, 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 uh, it truly is, I think, comes from a place of collaboration. Uh, and we also do work on a lot of different um, partnership and collaboration agreements, uh, well short of, of formal mergers that do help organizations align activities and work together with clarity. Um, so those are also fun where they have, you know, an idea for ways to pull resources or work together. And we're making sure, you know, doing the, all the legal documentation to make sure that things are um, working well. There was a, a pretty big coalition of organizations that did some joint fundraising uh, in pandemic response. And we were able to very quickly put together an association and a legal structure through which they could do that. And it was a really successful effort. So um, there's a, that, you know, when we talk about the mergers and acquisition space, again, in the nonprofit sector, you're really talking about this whole spectrum between, you know, of collaboration and uh, working together and sharing resources uh, that, that can be very formal and, and very informal. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment. Mm -hmm. 
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Hello, I'm Diane Duva. And I'm Neil Chrysell. And we're inviting you to join us Mondays at 2 p.m. right here at AM 1290 for Money Talk. The radio program that talks about finance, financial planning, and wealth management strategies. So please join us Mondays at 2 and 11 p.m., Tuesdays at 4 a.m., and Saturdays at 6 p.m. for Money Talk right here at KZSB AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. Well, we just found out on the break that Casey's husband is a songwriter, so she gets lots of love songs written to her. (laughs) Yeah, he likes to say they're all about me, which uh, I I never know if that's a good answer or a bad answer, right? (laughs) That's uh, That's an easy cop out on that one. Uh, yeah, so he's been loving discovering uh, all of the the music in Santa Barbara. There are so many incredible artists here, um, more so than we realized before we moved. So that's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. So, you know, I wanted to say congratulations on your firm's anniversary. You're in your 25th year of practicing law for nonprofits exclusively, which is pretty exciting. And so then during that time, you also became a partner of the firm. So congratulations on that. And I wanted to ask you, where do you see the firm going in the next 25 years? Where do you want to shape it? And where where do you see the, the law firm for nonprofits going? Yeah, well, you know, certainly we're always going to be focused on on our nonprofit clients. Uh, that will never change. And and I think we evolve with them and we evolve with the laws. And, you know, the pandemic year is a great example of that in that we're still uh, serving the same clients, but the type of issues we've been uh, helping with, you know, have really evolved and changed uh, as we, as, as the needs of the clients change. And so I think that's uh, what's, what's fun about the practice. It certainly, uh, it is never dull. I will tell you that uh, it's not the type of practice where I'm ever, you know, watching the clock, the days fly by the, the issues are so fascinating. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, it's, uh, I think there will be 
a, a lot more as we're seeing a lot of clients that are using um, technology in different ways that are starting uh, you know, thinking about uh, cryptocurrency space that are, are using streaming services to reach new clients, you know, to uh, raise awareness of different issues. So I think that that will be the way that the practice will start to evolve in some ways is, is as um, people continue to, it's, it's always still about the root of how do we raise, you know, awareness of and engage people around those charitable and social causes that are so critical to society. But I think the ways people do that and the ways they're continuing to try to do that uh, change and evolve and, and will will be there. So it'll keep the practice interesting. Uh, and it's always growing. We've been growing steadily every year, adding, you know, te- new team members. And, and that's also been uh, exciting and keeping us busy. So, yeah. Great. Well, Casey, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights on nonprofits. And if there is a nonprofit that's listening right now, that's thinking, gosh, we could really um, use Casey and her law firm's experience and expertise, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you and um, see if you'd be a good fit for them? Yeah, uh, so we do have a, a website at www.lfnp.com as in law firm, nonprofit. Uh, and you can reach me directly at Casey at lfnp.com, C A S E Y, or by phone, 818 uh, 623 Would love to connect with folks, everything from the very small routine questions to those big transactions. Uh, we love to work uh, with organizations of all shapes and sizes. Everyone is working remote now. Uh, uh, so it's not such a difficult situation to have your your firm in Los Angeles. But uh, do you ever need to call in people from LA to come up here? Uh, we, you know, it, it's funny, we, we, uh, we had a lot of folks working remotely, even pre pandemic. So um, we, you know, we'll jump on zooms like this, we do actually work, you know, very collaboratively, and my partners in, uh, in, in Los Angeles, uh, you know, jump in, uh, as needed often on, on a lot of our projects. So we find that we're able to collaborate, you know, really well through all these tools we have now between zoom and phone and all of that. Um, so yeah, we, we, we do work as a team on most all the clients that we work on. And one final question. I've always wondered, and I've been on a lot of not-for-profits, what's the difference between a non-profits and a not-for-profit? The <laughs> syntax there has always been a question mark for me. Uh, there really is no difference. Uh, <laughs> some states use nonprofit, some states use not-for-profit. So uh, California, we use nonprofit in the, the nonprofit corporation law. So I use nonprofit, but same, same idea. No well, thank difference. you so much, Casey. Uh, and thank you, Diane, for doing all that work on our new podcast. Uh, thank You're you all welcome. for... Lo- Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. It's 3.30.